When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. It's Friday, August 4th. Notre Dame has eight practices in. Practice number eight was at Mishawaka High School. Was it? Were they at St. Joe High School last year and Penn the year before, or vice versa? I believe um, they were at St. Joe last year, for sure. I don't, did, did they go to Penn the year before? I don't know. I thought, I thought, I thought maybe. They may maybe have done not, both. But, this seems to be a, a, a practice of Notre Dame now visiting a visiting a high school, not telling anybody, uh, not fooling everybody in the media, apparently, in terms of, of uh, watching the practice, which they shouldn't be doing. But, uh, yeah, eight practices down in Mishawaka High School. Earlier this week, we had interviews with offensive linemen, defensive linemen, coaches, guys jump in, Tim O'Malley jump in there and tell me what, you took away from from this week's uh, interviews, and then Tuesday was our last access. With Saturday, August fifth, we'll be back um, back with an opportunity to watch them. Al Washington's a positive guy by nature, with the especially with the media when he's discussing his players. Um, but he seems to really like what he has up front. I asked him if he can go deeper. I keep saying eight; it is nine because Burnham will play Summit Viper as well. That gives you three Vipers, so they are nine deep. Reading between the lines, I don't think they're bringing, I don't think Tyson Ford's right there yet, along with the rest of the guys coming in. Uh, I think it's great for his career. He lost the 19 pounds and can kind of settle in in that position because um, they could probably lose both strong side defensive ends at season's end. But uh, he likes his defensive front. And as Tim Priester has pointed out on more than a few occasions, if the defensive line plays better in front of the linebackers, the linebackers will play better as well. It, it's They've always worked hand in hand. I'm just interested to watch Jason Anye play because we keep seeing him do things in practice. Obviously he has never done a single thing in a game and neither is Gabriel Rubio, but they're the next wave and it's time for them to start doing stuff in, in games as well. Yeah. I, my, I, I can't say I share Al Washington's optimism about the defensive line. Um, and I think that you just look at the group. It, it doesn't look the same as the last five years. Like I just, there's not, there's not a way around that. Um, doesn't mean it's going to be a bad group. I just, it, it almost feels like more of um, they're going to have to hold up traffic for the linebackers to make plays as opposed to the other way around. And that Nareem's sort of been living in the other way around for the last few years where the defensive linemen could be the, the playmakers. Um, I spent some time with junior Tui Halamaka. I just as like a person, I really like him a lot. I think he's very thoughtful, um, kind of a mature way about him. It was interesting talking to him about his path to coming to Notre Dame. Cause he was like, my dad really wanted me to go to Texas. My mom really wanted me to go to Stanford. And we're like, so did you basically have to like, argue your case to your family about why you should come to Notre Dame? And he's like, yep, that's pretty much how it worked. Um, and you just don't really like get that a lot. Um, <laughs> I feel like usually we joke, like the parents want the kids at Notre Dame and the kids want to <laughs> go somewhere else. Um, but like, I, you know, does that, is that going to make him a great player? I don't know, but right. he, 
it is one of those guys where you're like, man, this, this kid really fits at a place like Notre Dame. Uh, and, you know, for the sake of Notre Dame and Tua Halamaka, I, I hope both can sort of take advantage of one another because he's the kid's got, he's wired the right way to take advantage of, I think what is, is pretty tremendous amount of potential. And I think he's the guy that, you know, as of now, until we see something contrary to that, he's the guy that you want there at Viper on rundowns. Um, you know, Batello has to prove himself in in that regard. That is why that is a wild story, Pete. You do not hear that very often. He kind uh, of split the part, middle difference, didn't he? He got some part Texas with Notre Dame's football well, program and part Stanford with yeah, Notre Dame's. And then if the, when when Marcus Freeman, I didn't ask him this directly, but I know this to be true. Like if Marcus Freeman didn't get the job, I think he would have ended up at USC. Oh, <laughs> he he and he, so he defied his parents and said, "I'm going to Notre Dame." Yeah, you know? and it's like he even said his. When he was, you know, the, the usual freshman homesickness, his mom was sort of like, well, I mean, how's it, is it going on? Okay. Like, <laughs> Stanford's right here. Uh. You know, I, I, Pete, I tend, I, I do share your opinion about the defensive line because, I mean, really look at it. And there's one given, and that's how we're across the third. Yeah. No other givens. I get yeah, we got to give Ryan Mills at least a half a given I'm for sorry. my sake, I, for my sake, at least. I, no, I agree. And I continue to do that. I think and Nana I, is a half I a given in terms of run setting the edge against the run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and why I, I said they have eight backups, eight really good backups. There's a lot of half givens out there. JJB's okay. at least a half given. He's made, as Pete has pointed out, a playoff sack. Okay, but a given, and yeah. I, I agree with you guys. Both of both of those should be mentioned. But a a a full given is Howard Cross the third. He put together a full season. Uh, very curious is uh, like you, Tim, uh, with regard to Anye. Um, you know, he sure looks. <laughs> He sure looks the part you don't normally think you think more three technique than than nose tackle when you see a, a, a body like that. But yeah, it'll be, you know, Batello. They obviously they need him to do some great things and Jean Baptiste uh, as well. But, you know, you just don't really know. Uh, it's it's great to have a veteran set of linebackers to help them get a line, number one, and then, you know, to, to clean things up when when the situation allows. but. You need guys. You, you at the very least, you need guys holding the point of attack. I what Tim? You said Rubio hasn't done anything. I, Rubio, no, Rubio. I mean he. I, I misspoke, but he is not. He's he played what 118 snaps, and that was what. What were the 118 snaps? That, like not Osafa Mensa came in and had to play three technique against Stanford. Almost won the game for Notre Dame the way he played that day. Rubio played. 100 yeah, I mean, I think that I 20 fill in snaps, right? I think Rubio pretty much always held the point of attack. I don't know how many, you know, he didn't always make plays. There were occasions where he made plays, but point taken. And I do. Yeah. I do think that Al Washington puts a, a bright spin on things almost all the time. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of coaches do that. Um, it also sometimes means they have to do that for their group. Like let's, let's sure. instill some positivity here. I, I have a one comment to make on the defensive line, like compared to last year, I think I totally agree with Pete about, the last five years being we'll look at that defensive line as the strength as this. We kept talking about every off season. I think they can be more productive than last year's defensive line, because I don't think last year's defensive line was as good as the same line was one year before. I don't think the twins were as good as they were the year. before. actually I'm a hundred percent sure that the twins were not as good they, they than they were the year before. Exactly. And I, I don't think Foskey was as good as he was the year before, which is why Marcus Freeman said midseason, 
when he had a breakout game against UNLV, remember week seven, that's what we need to see from Isaiah Foskey all the time. They I'm not did, saying these they guys got off to a very Foskey. slow start of the season. Yes. Like I thought their performance against Iowa or Iowa state, Ohio state was poor. Um, for, despite the fact that defense actually played well, like right, right. they needed to win that matchup. And I, I, in the second yeah. half, it was. It'd be poor. hard to argue that they did. Yeah. You know, I thought there were some comments. And I think there's always a tendency to read into things that are said. You know, I wrote about this in Thursday Thoughts that, that for 42 years now that are, I've heard comments about this is the closest team. I, I, maybe I haven't quite heard. I was, la- I was laughing at my laptop reading your Thursday yeah, yeah, Thoughts. Because yeah, like yeah. I off, that, that's my, I feel like I, I have the same pet peeve in training camp. I mean, I, I, I swear. Yeah, I swear to God, the 2012 team that that played in the national title was as what is was as together and cohesive and playing for each other as the the 2016 team. I mean, you hear the same things every year, but when well, you, maybe you, not the 2016 team at quarterback. No, no, no. But, but I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody in the preseason said it then. But when I hear Zeke Corral say this is the most physical team that I played on, that carries a little bit of weight for me. I, I don't think you hear that comment. Very often, uh, L. Washington gushed about Asafa Mensa's leadership ability. We've been talking about who's the leader on the defensive line. You know, I, I put a little bit of credence in that after just having said that that Washington puts a bright spin on everything. But I put some credence in that. And I also put credence in Nano Asafa Mensa saying that Brendan Vernon's the most violent freshman lineman that he's ever seen. Um, and that kind of coincides with some of the how impressed we've kind of been with the way that Vernon has carried himself and looked in the preseason. We haven't seen him. We haven't seen him hit anybody live. We don't, we don't know that, but when some of those comments are a little bit more out of the ordinary and not the old cliche stuff, I put a little value in that. I feel like I'm getting, uh, I'm going to treat Brennan Vernon the same way I treated Riley Mills in terms of uh, yeah. overhyping him up a year earlier yeah. too. But I, but I do th- like, I, I said this on the last podcast. I feel this today. I feel like I'm going to feel it all season. Like, I just think he is, he is positioned to maybe be a surprise freshman story that Notre Dame needs at that position. And I know you guys were like, well, they don't really need it. They have Aiden Gobire and Tyson Ford and yada, yada. But like, I do for Notre Dame to push the needle and like go 11 and one, they do need it. Like I, I just, I don't think that relying on the guys who are already here, who haven't played is going to move the needle in a way that um, a Benjamin Morrison type of story would on the defensive line. They just just need something above and beyond what they already have. Unless it's a Burnham who didn't really get, who didn't get an opportunity last year or even to Maka that could, you know, yeah, really, no, I, I like really I like Tui Halamaka, um, but it's just like when you look at Vernon, when you look at Vernon, and you think, "Wow, that's an impressive specimen." Have you like even looking at Tui Halamaka or Burnham? Like, ever felt the same way? No, no. Okay, no. That's I mean that's sort of where I'm going. I just Anya, like you feel the way about Anya though, who's never Anya, yes. yeah, anything. after yeah. three and a half years, yeah, and like yes. Brendan Vernon is after three and a half weeks. Yes, yeah. I guess, but my I guess my point is I'm not saying Brendan Vernon. I like Brendan Vernon even when he was heavy, but because of because of the way he plays football. Um, I guess I'm saying for this year, I think the Brendan Vernon story will can't be as big of a story as Jason Anya. I just because of Jason Anya's here for three years, I think it's just a different level of strengthening and being ready to do stuff. But if you're saying Brendan Vernon can come in and play every single game 
yeah, I agree that would be a huge pickup. But that, you, you don't think Brennan Vernon is going to take the starting well, no, strong side no, defensive I mean, end Ver, Vernon's no. behind Mustafa yeah. Mensah and Jean-Baptiste. I That's mean, what I'm saying. Still, yeah, but if yeah, he plays I, 10 snaps a game, they really like him. That would mean that he earned yeah. – He they said, we have to take away veteran snaps for this guy. Yeah, any yeah. every snap that he gets – is a huge positive for the long-term health of the program and maybe even the short-term production of this defensive line. I want to talk about the right guard position a little bit. And I, and I spent really most of my time on Tuesday's practice because they were working on the grass field, the dynamics of where we lined up to watch practice were different. And I was like within feet of the offensive line and it's interesting to hear Joe Rudolph coach his players. It's very different than her. He's standing. He's very much an educator and a teacher. Um, it, not that Harry Heastan wasn't, but he allowed his emotions to do uh, a, a good portion of his his coaching. And in watching the the right guard battle, uh, Tim, I you know you, the other day in, in your Monday musings, you said that. You expected Spindler to start some games this year. And I thought, whoa, man, I'm not, I, I'm not there yet with it. And I, and I don't want to say that I am just had because I watched a, a Tuesday practice and they weren't in full pads, but he's get, being, being given every opportunity to battle Andrew Christoffic for that starting job. Uh, he's being coached a lot by Joe Rudolph. He continues to make a lot of fundamental mistakes based upon the instructions that he was getting. But he does look more physical. He does look less hesitant. There's a battle going on there. And I think Joe Rudolph wants somebody physical at that right guard spot. Spindler is trending in that direction. He's trying still to get Christophic to go in that direction. I, I agree with you with everything you said there. And it's, I, even though my first question to Joe Rudolph was, well, actually, my first one was, why is Emil Wagner playing guard? But my second question was, that's a fair first dig- question. Were you indignant about it? <laughs> no, I was like, I was like, I just saw Emil Wagner at, at left guard with the first unit. Did I, my eyes deceive me? He said, no, we're trying Wagner and, and Tosh Baker. He likes them and he wants them involved. But all summer, I thought there is going to be t- some type of job share at right guard because they can complement each other. Christophic is a veteran that will know more than Andrew Christoph than uh, Rocco Spindler will. He is. I expect Andrew Kostovic to start against Navy because when Navy has all that stuff going on up front and all the blitzes to attack Notre Dame, I would want Andrew Kostovic helping pick those things up. But I expect Rocco Spindler to be starting when they're going against more physical lines in the future. If Even if that means maybe he takes over for the last six, seven, eight games. Because of what Joe Rudolph said, you can know about where to put your hands and your feet and all the calls, but if you can't punch a hole through the guy in front of you, we have a problem. You think he Andrew Kostovic punched holes? Yeah. And no, he was talking about guards. He okay. was asked about the guard battle. But obviously we know who that means. If you can have everything technically down and know everything, if you can't punch a hole, you're in trouble. you got to punch a hole. I've never seen Andrew Christophe go out there and be like, man, he just mauled that guy. I, but I mean, wouldn't Baker be Baker? Baker's listed as 6'8", 317. And I cannot believe that he only weighs 317. Again, our perspective on Tuesday I can't because believe he's six, only six, eight. <laughs> I, because they were practicing on the grass field. I was really close to the offensive line. I'm like, this guy is absolutely mammoth. I remember, uh, remember Brennan Curtin and Brennan Curtin was mammoth. Oh, that's Pete's guy. Every time you say yeah. who's the biggest guy you've seen. Yeah. yeah Baker is Baker's competing with him there. No doubt about it. Anyway, I mean, I, I look, I have been the biggest critic of 
Rocco Spindler since day one, and he's making a move, man. I, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. Uh, and that's what I always say that I need to see it. It's important, Tim, it. what you pointed out in Thursday thoughts that he spent the first four practices of Joe Rudolph's coaching career on the ground. Yes. What do you think Joe Rudolph thought of Rocco Spindler when he <laughs> literally has to tell the media? Well, he spent the, the entire thing. week on the ground. So same thing as two predecessors thought. <laughs> yeah. Same thing Gary Easton thought of after a couple of years, but <laughs> or one year that, but to not be doing that now indicates the progress. And that doesn't mean he's the all American next to Blake Fisher. We're saying it gives them another option at right guard. And I mean, and, it's, it's, I'll just say it's worth reminding, like, you know, how much Chris Watt played his first two years, almost nothing like, Junior year is when you're supposed to put it together. Like for sure, and Joe Alt really sort of pervert that perception because they're like, "Holy crap, these guys are good." I don't think Chris. I don't think Chris Watt was bad his first two years. I don't think they. No, but he couldn't get on the field. No, but they weren't saying this guy's never going to be a player, and that was some of the commentary coming out about Spindler early on. Now, in fairness, when he was with Jeff Quinn, he was a true freshman. Uh, and, and Harry can, Harry can turn on guys. I mean, he did, that was just his coaching style. So, but he's made a lot of improvement. I don't want, I'm, I feel like I'm overplaying it now. I'm not saying he's going to start. I feel like I'm overplaying it, but I'm kind of doing that because I've been tough on Rocco Spindler based upon the four days, first four days of the spring being on the ground and, and, and information like that, that has come our way. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thrilled for him. And for Notre Dame's offensive line, they seems to be making a move. And it's based upon two years of you being told by people that did not have inside information that he's the best guard. And you're like, he's not the best guard because every both offensive line coaches have told us he is not close to the field. <laughs> but now, now this offensive line coach is definitely indicating he's close to the field. Yeah, good stuff for him. Uh, changing gears before we wrap up segment one. Uh, running back Justin Thurman verb from Tampa, verbally committed to Notre Dame class of 2025. At this stage, I, I it's hard for me to project him as a number one running back, but I think he's close and brings some intangibles. Intangibles. I love his versatility. He's very physical on the back end of a defense. Nordame's every intention now is to for him to be a running back, but I think there's some things in his game, some intangibles. He's a really good cultural fit for Notre Dame. He understands Notre Dame. Those things. Uh, are important. I know a lot. Of, a lot of times people dismiss that, but it's it, it is very important. Uh, you, you guys' thoughts on on class of twenty five running back Justin Thurman? I, I think it's very important what you say that he embraces Notre Dame because when he comes in, he's going to have three really good players, if yes. not four, directly in front of him. Right? Yeah. yeah it's, I, it's it's when you see the way he's built, it's kind of hard to be like, okay, I can see him beating out Aeneas Williams and Kendron Young, and Jeremiah Love. Um, I realize running backs get hurt, but he's I think he's coming in, as O'Malley said, probably he'll be the fourth of those four, um, and who knows if who's still here from the Well, Janarian Price could be. That's what I'm saying. Like, there, I, I don't yeah. know who's still here from the older kids, but like may, maybe after a patient developmental story, and I know he's uh, Priester, I think you wrote like DB, maybe like. I, no, I I, I like he, I like his yeah. physicality. He's really not. He's more physical than his frame than his body right now, which is a great thing. I love the way he comes up and hits people from from the back end of the yeah. defense. I just like that versatility. Um, you know, I think it's a nice catch at this stage for them at, at uh, twenty twenty five. 
The Under, Under, Under Armour contract has not been announced. I wrote about it in Thursday Thoughts just to try to put a bow on it. I don't have anything more to say about it, quite frankly, because Nordane made their decision. They chose, and, I, and I'm not I'm not saying this is wrong, but they chose the 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 financial benefits over the wants and needs and and maybe demands is too strong, but desires. Yeah. Desires. Yeah. I mean, the coaching, correct me if I'm wrong. The coaching no, staffs. I'm not. Nike. Okay. The coaching. And when, uh, like Nike. when we say Notre Dame, like Jack Swarbrick, like I'm sorry, shows I, you're, it. Right. you're right. You Jack know, Swarbrick. yes. Jack Swarbrick, you know, maybe a board of trustee level decision too, but like they, and it's, it's money. They took the money. Um, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, it definitely was a reminder to like, if you're a coach, you're there to coach. You're not there to run the athletic department. And the, Tim, before you jump in there, and the money is extreme compared to Nike's offer. So yeah, that's what Under Armour had to have them. Like yes. they're desperate. They went with the desperate apparel company because they had to pay to do it. And that's, I get all these questions about like, well, why wouldn't Nike pay? Because Nike can doesn't need to. Like it's, if you've seen air, like, Nike was desperate to sign Michael Jordan. Like Notre Dame is not Michael Jordan and Nike right now. Like that's, they're just, they're another school for Under Armour. They're Michael Jordan. Agreed. Tim, this isn't, this isn't totally apples to apples, but I feel the same way about Marcus Freeman and Micah Shrewsbury and Neil Ivy making a choice about Notre Dame's athletic program or at, making a choice about apparel for the entire, all the athletic programs, the same way I feel about when players want to choose coaches after a coach has been fired and stuff like that. You have no input. You don't. I'm sorry. I, I agree with Marcus Freeman and the other people that I think Nike would be better. I think they, I think it would help recruiting. I, there's a lot of reasons, but they don't have input on it. They don't have input on it. I'm not sure that they should, they should though. I don't like, know. I, um, they, more that's, so, that's, okay. that's why it's not it's, apples to apples more so yeah, than the players and the coach. Um, yeah. That's, that's different. Yeah. This is I like, think they could, I think they should clothing. have some input, but they don't and they didn't. And yeah. it's, Maybe if Jack Sorbrick went money. to Micah and Marcus would be like, you know, if if you want to make up the difference in the offer here, we'll we'll gladly go with Nike. Yeah, but. think of it that way. I mean, there's I I am not advocating at all for the choice for Under Armour. It's also true that we've known, I mean, basically known for two months or a month and a half. So this is just news that's been on our podcast forever. And then it came out one day that there's going to be official. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, what the worst kept secret is that's the situation right now. And like Pete Sampson said to me, and I feel this exact same way. I heard it was Under Armour. We're talking last week or at the practice. You go, oh, that's too bad. And then you move on with your life. Yeah. And that's where I am with Under Armour and Notre Dame's apparel right now. If the uh, numbers weren't so extreme, perhaps the opinion of the three people that you mentioned, Tim O'Malley, Yes. Perhaps that would be taken uh, a little bit more strongly. The numbers are very extreme, and the 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 man at the top made made the decision. Yeah, and we don't have nobody has to agree with the decision. But my point about the coaches not—I don't mean the coaches don't matter in this—but we have a question on this podcast about Marcus Freeman's future. What if Marcus Freeman chooses your apparel company in light of the question we have on this podcast? What if Micah Shrewsbury can't get them to the NCAA tournament in four seasons? Do you think it's a good idea to listen to the basketball coach and choose something from that or take the all that mil millions and millions of dollars? What if the AD chooses your apparel company and then retires six months later? I know. 
also strange. It, it was a bad for ten situation. years. It was a bad situation. Like Pete Bavacqua will have more say over the football coach than what the football coach is wearing. <laughs> and I and I, you know, I mean, I, at some point we'll we'll talk to Pete Bavacqua, and obviously he'll be asked about this, and I'm sure he will stay in line with the, the decision. Yeah, that ultimately was made, but. Uh, Look, and I'm not I'm not taking a stance one way or another. It would be nice if you could serve both constituencies, but but it is an apples and orange oranges thing. Dude, as you say, would Tim. you? I was curious to your opinion on this. Like, if if Notre Dame's resigned with Under Armour, but it was a five year deal, would you feel differently about it? Because I would. I would too. Ten years is the most is the weirdest thing in the world. What? Who signs ten year deals these days in this yeah, situation? I agree. I agree with that. I I agree with that. I don't. I mean, especially Notre Dame, like it's not like they need the security of a 10 year. Right. That is crazy to me. Although, yeah. you know, we're sitting here saying that Nike doesn't need Notre Dame and they don't. I, and, you know, we want, we expect Notre Dame to be the apple of everybody's eye, but, but just the nature of this business dealing doesn't lend itself to that. And yeah, 10 seems extreme. Um, but it is, it is what it is. The Nike NIL opportunities just seem so. There's no such thing as so unique. It just seemed so intriguing, but it doesn't matter. Did they? Like, I, that's what yeah. I, I don't get because people ask about that. And I'm like, well, if their NIL opportunities for Nike are so great, like, why would Notre Dame get them instead of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State? I think they would get them along with Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Yeah, but I don't even know what those opportunities are. Like, in some way, like, if Under Armour is overpaying for Notre Dame by millions and millions of dollars, take some of that overpayment and put it in NIL stuff. And I asked Jack Swarbrick about that, and he kind of like shot down the idea. I just think, I, I, I hope that there is some wiggle room there because that, that feels like the ultimate missed opportunity if they don't take advantage of that. Segment one of Irish Illustrated Insider was brought to you by calderalab.com. First impressions matter. There's no two ways around it. And your face is most likely the first thing that someone notices about you. How your skin looks is going to determine, good or bad, the impression. I decided... It's time to put my best face forward and started using Caldera Lab to do so. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skin care and is here to save the day and your confidence. Use our exclusive code IRISH, I-R-I-S-H, all caps, at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Segment two, burning up the boards, coming up next. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit Aerlingus.com to book today. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit GameDayYourWay.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question comes from Sarge103. 
it appears Rocco Spindler has taken steps needed to become a real contender for the right guard spot. Have you heard of any other players that used to be buried on the depth chart, making a strong push for playing time? I don't think anybody falls into that category unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, you know, Josh Burnham's barely been in the program. He's a guy that could emerge after, you know, he didn't, didn't get opportunities last year, but he was transitioning from linebacker to defensive end. Uh, Aiden Kayana, a possibility, but we haven't heard a whole lot of uh, noise about him pushing a nose tackle an injury could could possibly change that those are the two that come to mind with me I don't see like Ryan Barnes would be a candidate but I don't see him breaking through uh who else comes to mind to you guys I guess that's a good point I mean, Tim Anya was last Anya year was he's the one well yeah I mean that's yeah, the answer Anya was and there he yeah, is Anya. yep yeah that's I'm not sure what other candidates there would be like I don't was I know people don't want to hear this, but like, was Matt Salerno buried on the depth chart? No, he's in the I, same. Not really. Yeah. I mean, Tyson he played, Ford, it, played he, at Ohio State. Um, like yeah, sophomores just, uh, aren't buried. Sophomores can't be buried. They just haven't right, made it right, yet. Right, right, right. I, I realize it, it was a different depth chart, but Devin Ford um, was buried on Penn State's depth chart. And oh, that's well, that's a decent Dan, amount of Notre Dame. Dan Ina would probably be the one that fits the most. To, yeah, and I've, I haven't seen or heard anything no, that makes no. you think that that's happening, right? No. He's not often spoken about. No, he really isn't. And, uh, you know, the kid hung in there and he battled. He fought his way to, to stay on the roster. You, you hope good things for him if the opportunity presents itself. Right. Uh, but no, Spindler's doing a good job and and uh, they need it. And, and frankly, I mean, the way I wrote about it in Thursday Thoughts, I, I don't think this is a great, necessarily a great situation for Notre Dame at, at right guard. You're very uncertain going into the season, and you open with Navy with a veteran defensive line. You have as much as Billy Schrout's going to, almost undoubtedly going to be a great player. He's also definitely going to take his first live college snap in the Navy game in Dublin. You know why? If you can't make right guard work against Navy, what are we even doing here? I get it. I know, but I mean, it's still a better defensive line for Navy. He's going to. They're I'm going with to Tim in the overall. I'm with you in the overall, though, Priester. Like, I didn't say they're both going to start because I think they're both going to be all Americans. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that was my point. People, and, and, there's and, some and, text here. And Pete, I mean, Navy did. They allowed 3.07 yards per game. They didn't play. They didn't play. Mm -hmm. I mean, they. I know it's the, the uh, American Conference, but. It's a good front, and Notre Dame's right guards are going to be challenged on August 26th. I just like if if they can't make right guard work against Navy, I just what well, what okay what what uh, what about throughout the season? It, I'm just saying it could yeah, be yeah like right guard easily could be the fifth worst or the fifth best position on the offensive line, which is fine. Like I feel like they've had worse right guards than whatever they're going to start this year. Well, they did two years ago. <laughs> yeah, and and they they'll have better tackles than they've had most every other year. Very true. Very true. Don't disagree with that. CMU Pence fan says, "Ask Notre Dame appears to have a lot of guys who are very good on the short and intermediate routes. Who will be the guys that have the ability to take it over the top of a defense when needed?" Is definitely uh, supposed to be Tobias Merriweather. Yeah, he's number one he's on a, the list. He's your top deep threat. Um. You know, we don't uh, – Colsey had that – his carved his third down niche. But remember, he carved a third down niche because that's where Pine could throw it. Deion Colsey can move. He can get downfield and make plays too. I think I, 
we didn't write off Deion Colsey. It's just that I thought that I think they have better younger and better older players. So, or better same age player and better younger players. So that's why I don't jump all over the Colsey bandwagon, but he could get downfield with Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman's the reason these guys can be downfield threats though. Yeah. I think, I, you know, look, there's no Will Fuller on the, in the, the receiver room, but I'm not sure that I, I look at the group and think like it's, it's slow or plotting in any kind of way. I, if it's open to push the ball deep, they'll push the ball deep. It's like the whole taking a top off the defense, like Braden Lindsay could take the top off the defense, but like he was never really able to do that. It's, it's the ability, like, do you have a guy that's fast enough to get downfield when the defense allows the top to be taken off? Like that when there's a weakness in the defense deep, you have a guy that can get deep and a quarterback who can get the ball deep. And I think that they have multiple guys who can do that. And they definitely have a quarterback who can do that. But Chris, Chris Tyree can do that. I'm not sure that he is adept enough at, you know, a deep ball guy that you want. It's not, not necessarily the most high percentage throw at this stage of his career as he's trying to learn a new position. Um, certainly Braylon James has the speed, although we're not sure whether he's in the rotation at this point, I love Rico Flores Jr.'s get off at the line of scrimmage. He may not be among the two or three fastest guys, but he's certainly going, going to put pressure on a secondary with that get off at the snap of the football. So they have some guys, but Tobias Merriweather, I think, is number one on that list. And uh, as you say, Pete, having Sam Hartman allows it to become reality much more readily than than last year. Um, we did ask Stucky this. We'll see him in a week. Is that right? He's one of the later guys, I think. Mm-hmm. This exact question was asked to Stucky on the 14th practice of spring, and I'm sure things have changed a little. He said, for the most part, it's been pretty successful making plays downfield. Tobias has been the best. Chris Tyree and Matt Salerno next, and then Rico on some back shoulder throws 20 to 25 yards down the field. He has the understanding and knowledge about how the ball, what is about to happen with the ball in the air. That's good stuff. I really, th- I mean, like, I, I realize we, we focus on speed here, but... I think the question is like, can you make a competitive catch? Can you yep. twist your body? Like that, those are to, to me, that's like a bigger skill set asset than like just how fast you can run in a straight line. That's why I said great house would be a downfield threat by yeah, the time the yeah. season's over. So look, we just named like six guys that could be deep threats for Notre Dame. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think we're, I think we're giving some validation of that a little bit and saying it. So I don't think that, I don't think that's going to be uh, an issue. Uh, and and again, with Sam Hartman, that uh, that can happen much more readily than it did a year ago. Rye guy 0917, is Jack Swarbrick still being the AD, the main reason that Nordian re-upped with Under Armour? If contract negotiations were happening a year from now, led by Pete Bavakwa, do they still choose Under Armour or too difficult to tell? I think he's the main reason that Nordian re-upped with Under Armour. Um I don't think I can intelligently tell you what Pete Pavaka would do if offered the exact same extra money that they were Notre Dame was offered. Yeah, but I think the money is the main reason they're up up against Thunder Armor. Jack Swarbrick just happened to make the decision and take the money. Well, Jack Swarbrick just happened to be the guy in the position to make the the decision. Pete Pavaka probably would. The board of trustees. I mean, you can't tell me that the board of trustees turned their nose up at Under Armour's offer. No, uh, Notre Dame likes to make the money. Yes, everybody likes to make the money. We just happen to cover Notre Dame, and and we're up close to see it happen. Um, so, 
I mean, I don't really know how to answer. You know, here's I, if Notre Dame wanted to like win a little PR here when they announced the Under Armour deal, they would talk. They would talk about how some of the money is either being put into NIL or Group 2.0, yeah. and then I think people would be like, "Oh, great! This is awesome." You. you remember uh, three months ago when someone said, what, "What would make yeah. Notre Dame fans happy?" And I said, "Signing with Nike. That would be the only thing to make fans happy." Pete just found another one. If they take the Under Armour money and say it goes to NIL and Group 2.0. It would be a good bone, would have been a good bone to throw. Well, they haven't announced it yet, right? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they, they can do it still. Okay, so, yeah, they could still do that. Question from PD Halls. Uh, it's a little bit of a long one. Bear with me here. I'm very optimistic about this year's team, but I'm kind of surprised at some of the takes on Jordan Botello. I've seen the, the over-under on sacks as high as 12 and a half. To be fair, if I could interject, he said that we didn't say that, and that's true. I think I may have. Anyway. Isn't this the same player that is often engulfed by the offensive line in practice? I know he's very talented, by his, but Isaiah Foskey's single season high was 11. I feel like Botello hype is through the roof for a guy that hasn't been a full-time player. I looked up to see how many guys had had 12 and a half sacks in the previous five seasons. Do you guys want to take a, a guess about how in many the previous five seasons? players? In the in previous all of five college seasons. football. In the oh, in all college football. Seasons. No, I can't guess that. Priester, uh, it's it's sixteen. Be sixteen years? total. So three a year. Yeah, Jordan Patel is going to be one of the three this year. I I don't think so. I don't I don't think so either. But uh, he is the guy that they need to be a pass rusher, and so you know, and you you don't you don't have to ju- look at Julian Aquar. Look how many times you know he didn't always That's get to the quarterback. My but point he, coming uh, up right here. Yep, I, I I had a feeling you might be saying that to so I thought I'd jump the gun a little bit on that. Go right ahead, take over. I mean, the sacks are. Anybody that thinks Isaiah Foskey rushed the passer better last year than Julian Aquara did in 2018 just does not watch a game back ever, or only looks at the stat sheet. Like getting pressure on the passer consistently. Do you remember why Notre Dame beat Pittsburgh in that miserable game in 2018? Ian Book's worst start when he had been great. Julian Aquara on seven consecutive third downs pressured Kenny Pickett. Seven consecutive third downs. I don't think he got a sack. The ball also was not completed. They got him off the field. He had 51 pressures. According to, and I'm going to using pro football focus, and I know we all could use different pressure stats, but if I use the same site stats, I would assume they're kind of accurate and how they do it year to year he had 51 pressures in 2018 Isaiah Foskey had 33 in his best year we need a combo stat of sacks plus pressures they have that too uh yeah. have that yeah baseball's the best at uh coming up with combo stats um yeah, so let's keep an eye. Let's keep an eye on that. Let's not judge Jordan Botello but just by sacks. Let's keep an and Pro Football Focus. Well, they they keep like like the NCAA keeps uh, pressures, but only one person can get a pressure per snap. Exactly. Exactly. They're not doing NCAA is not doing film reviews. They're it's like theirs is the record of the game. It's almost like it's a baseball scorecard. You have to score it somehow. PFF is more, that stat's more valuable in this instance, definitely. So let's keep an eye on that with Patello. Let's certainly keep an eye on that with uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste because um, he's he might be there. I know he's at strong side end, but he might be their best pass rusher this year. Yeah, and, and sack, like for these guys, like the sack is, it's such a like moment statistic. Like if it happens in the right moment, 
Yeah. Like if Jordan Botello makes a sack on third and seven in the fourth quarter and Notre Dame's beating Ohio State by three, I don't care how many, if he had six sacks against Central Michigan. Um, you know, it's like, you remember Victor Abiyamiri? Like, I feel like oh, he yeah. always got I, six sacks against terrible Stanford teams. He did. Um, and that's great. Like, those count too, but like, they don't count as much as the one you got in a game that really mattered. And, you know, O'Malley's point about Aquara against Pittsburgh really bears that out. Tim, what do you, I'm, off the top of my head, I don't remember, but it was under 10, obviously. It's Frank Stam's sack total in 1988. But I know he had him against Miami and USC. That was, right. and West Virginia. I mean, that was what mattered. He became, he was the, he was technically, Frank Stam's not technically, he was chosen the player of the game in the upset of Miami. It was Frank Stam's. Yeah. And Tony Rice or Pat Terrell. Remember that more than how many stat or how many sacks he had over the yeah, yeah no absolutely but you guys are both you guys are both saying the right things here that I agree I, I it's uh it's in the moment when when you make the play in the moment um you know remember when Notre Dame played Virginia at home a couple of years ago and you're very concerned about their quarterback and what they could do and they pressured the hell out of them and, and won a and won a tough game you know when they had to at home so um, yeah absolutely. BWAC 29 asks, have we heard from any of the offensive line or coaches who's the hardest to block on the defensive line? If not, should our level of concern be higher than it already is? I don't, I don't know if Joe Rudolph was asked that question. Yeah, if he ask him. wasn't asked it, he probably wouldn't uh, offer it, but we did. <laughs> Joel Evans did talk about Batello about how strong and aggressive he is. And he really raved at JJB's length, uh, which I think we're going to see. You know, especially him against right tackles, I, that that can be a that can be a significant advantage for Notre Dame uh, in that matchup of uh, Jean Baptiste against right tackles. Um, so yeah, I a tight end who has to deal with those people commented specifically about the assets of the of those two frontline players for Notre Dame. And it's like it's a tough one to evaluate. I think even for the players themselves, because I mean, they do these one-on-one -on -one drills that are just pass rush. And like, it's probably hard to block somebody one-on-one -on -one when it's just pass rush um, versus like, who's the hardest to block when you're in 11 on 11 team periods. We, we usually don't get that specific with the questions. We asked Blake Fisher. Um, yeah. It's a good point about the tight ends with Patello. I mean, the Patello is going to be a problem for tight ends because they're just not as physically strong usually as Jordan Patello yeah. is and the length of JJB. But we kind of asked Blake Fisher about the three guys, Patello, Sneed, and Leofau. Pete, did you ask this question about what's it like to block those guys off the edge? Oh as opposed yeah, to... I do. And his, I mean, his he... thing was kind of like, well, it's just different. They're speed rushers. You know, you just got to get a hold of them. And he's kind of like, and that's yeah, like, better, better get a hold of individual over. in the individual periods. Like, I think it would be really hard to get a hold of them. Yeah. In, and a, in a team period, when the defensive end has to read some read the play, probably pretty easy to get a hold of them. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I thought I took Blake Fisher's answer as like, yeah, I just get my hands on him. It's, yeah, he did. No, that's how I took it too. He's kind of like, I don't have the issue you have with this. So there's no, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't quite say that. He was more diplomatic. Next question. It. No, he was more diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> David Lopez five asks, how do you feel about the current conference realignment storylines? Do you think having only two quote super conferences is good for the sport? Are you sad? The pac 12 seems destined to collapse. Uh, this is a, an old question because as of this morning, my colleague Nicole Auerbeck reported that the Pac-12 
is optimistic that they're going to keep Oregon and Washington and that only Arizona is going to leave and the Pac-12 will survive. So what about, uh, what about Arizona state and Utah? Because I've they're gonna, only Arizona uh, will depart. Oh, that is the vibe as of this morning. And Arizona wow. departing the Pac-12 doesn't do much for me in football. Um, but I do think, and I, I've this is kind of why I've never loved the whole expansion of playoffs because I love how you could get eliminated in great games in November. Um, uh, the, my second favorite thing, honestly, about that about the sport is the rivalry games. I love rivalry weekend. I love when Oregon plays Oregon State, and I am not going to care if Oregon State is playing Rutgers, as we saw somebody posted on Twitter today. It's just a different world. We'll get used to it. You'll still watch college football because it'll still probably be your favorite sport. But I do not like, I like having the rivalries of games. Um, I like the fact that UC, USC cares about UCLA or UCLA cares so much about USC. I think it's fun when they are season ending, biggest game in the line. Even when Michigan and Ohio State aren't both good, it's still an incredible game, an incredible theater to watch. It's just, it'll be a little different. I, you know, as the only guy here that remembers the Pac-8 that then became the Pac-10 that then became the Pac-12. Yeah, I would, I kind of hate to see that, uh, that conference break up. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember, you know, we talk about preseason magazines. Tim, you're probably old enough. Maybe Pete, you aren't. This old Street and Smith magazines. Oh, yeah. I came remember out those. And, you know, Pac, and again, it was Pac-8 when I was growing up. So, yeah, I'd hate to see that happen. The Big 12, you know, the Big 12 has really done a tremendous job of saving themselves. They added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. Those are pretty decent additions. Uh, looks like Arizona. I wasn't aware of Nicole Auerbach's uh, report, Pete. Um, yeah, this is like as we're <laughs> podcasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, Utah would be a blow because Utah is a is a has a damn good football program. So um, even yeah. even like Utah, I like the fact that you could hate the uniform so much as a fan, and it, and it sometimes permeates the players. There's there's a there's legitimate hatred. It sometimes when these state in state right, especially like Oregon, Oregon State, well, Michigan, Ohio State, like oh, yeah. it's just so much more fun to me. Then I, I love it when it's September 2nd, if Alabama's playing USC, I mean, I thought that was fun, but it's not the same thing as when Alabama lines it up against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And we're standing in Stanford stadium watching that. And you see Auburn with absolutely nothing all year long, nearly eliminate Alabama from the playoff because of how they, how hard they play in that game. I, I like watching the civil war or whatever yeah. they're calling it this now um, with Oregon and Oregon state, Oregon, yeah, Oregon wow. state yeah. California, like, that was so that's so fun to watch. Like I haven't watched the Apple Cup in a while, but I would. Um right, like right. like to to just like throw that away. So like and uh my old colleagues Andy Staples reference, like, well, wouldn't you want to watch Oregon, Ohio State? And I'm just like, we already did. We already watched that game. It was yeah. good. I'd watch it again. It's but a I'd, fun one off, but, but it's we not were the able, same. We were able to watch a home and home of Ohio State and Oregon. But then the Civil War, we were able to watch that as well. Like you can have both. Yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful that the pack whatever survives um, because it's it's bad for the sport that there's nothing rooted on the West Coast. And to do away with, I mean, Bedlam's going away. Uh, Texas A&M, Texas went away. Now it's coming back. Like, but for the most part, this the rivalries. TV executives apparently do not care about them. 
Um, and it's it, that's a real shame that we have fewer of them now than we did before. Well, and speaking of not caring, I, who I'm really sad for is the the Penn State and Rutgers basketball teams that fly to USC and UCLA on a Thursday night in, in January and get back to their campus at 6.30 in the morning, you know, with a three-hour time difference. I, we, it, there is just no concern for the student athlete whatsoever in these situations. Nope. Like, it's like all the TV executives signed with Under Armour in one big day. That's what we're trying to say out there. So Statman 72, will the number of wins versus Ohio State, USC, and Clemson be greater than, less than, or equal to the number of losses versus these four teams, NC State, Duke, Louisville, and Pitt? Man, I... It's really hard to think about. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around this. And it's no surprise that Statman 72 that is posting this question. Um, I, I think the I think the Nordheim at Clemson, considering Nordheim's two wins over them in recent regular season, it's going to be at night. I think that that is a extremely difficult game for Nordheim. That's the hardest of the three games. I agree. I, I, I completely agree with that. Um I I think they'll win at least one of Ohio State USC. So then NC State Duke, I think they'll beat NC State. I I, I think. Do you think they'll lose to two of those four teams? Is makes this question easier to figure they, out. Well, Duke is the one that I think is the most concerning, just because of what they have coming back. I really like their football team. I really like their quarterback. Uh, I still haven't wrapped my head around how exactly they answer this question. So you guys jump in. I think they will, they'll beat one of the top three teams and they will sweep the four teams that whoa. are listed below. Whoa. I uh, think, you know, it's, not, it's, it's, ten, it's, it's a 10 and two season. Yeah. I'm not, most, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, these teams are great. Pittsburgh, Louisville certainly transition and can't, they probably won't be able to run the football against Notre Dame. I think NC state takes a bit of a step back. I really like Duke. I don't. I don't think I'm prepared to say uh, sweep all four. I, I just. I, I. I think that's. I think a couple of those settings are difficult. The timing. The timing is difficult. Um, you go to after you play Ohio State. You go to Duke and Louisville on consecutive weekends. After that's, you play USC, you play Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. I am telling you that is my trap game of the year. Is Pittsburgh? Their name plays like junk at home against Pittsburgh half the time, more oh, than yeah. half the time. Oh, that, that's, a, that, that's a bad, bad game. That's a bad you, slotting of scheduling. Yeah, Jerkovic totally quarterback. Does Jerkovic finally, finally gets his revenge? I mean, I'm not even sure Duke is still a trap game the way we're all talking about it. So it must be Pittsburgh's a trap game. Yeah. Duke's, just, Duke's just good. Mike Elko's done a really, a really good job in a very short amount of time. I don't want to hammer this point home, but I've said it on, People ask me on radio shows and other podcasts, and I think I've said on this podcast, I might have even written it. We don't know how well they can handle success yet under Marcus Freeman. No, we do not. They had success last year. In my opinion, they had success against Ohio State in terms of how the players felt and how everyone said the defense is back. You're one of they're going to be the best one loss team in the country. Proud of what you did. They had success beating at North Carolina and BYU back-to-back, and they showed up and laid an all-time egg against Stanford. They had success in the first half against Navy. This might not count apples to oranges, and they just looked miserable. The worst team you've ever seen on offense, and not that good on defense in the second half. 
I don't think, I think that's part of coaching is handling success too. I think he handled failure pretty well. They bounced back from Marshall. I don't know if bowl game counts. You bounce, you, you had to re-rally the team for the bowl game. I mean, the guys that stayed. It's a tough, I think the pit game after USC and the Duke-Louisville combo after Ohio State, they're going to lose one of those games. I mean, Lou Holtz. For people saying they can't lose to these teams because they're better than them, did you watch last year? Oh, they absolutely can lose to them. I'm saying, no, I'm not saying you said that, but people will look at that and say, O'Malley, tell me how Louisville beats Notre Dame because it's college football. That's how Louisville can beat Notre Dame. Are you kidding? There's going to be a reason Notre Dame's favored by four and not seven or something odd when that game comes up. My concern in those games is Sam Hartman has lays an egg uh, as he did from time to time at Wake Forest. I mean, you're allowed to, you're allowed to critique a guy that's still in the college football at 23. You're fine. Yeah. Just like he had some high turnover volume games at Wake Forest where you're just like, what is, what are you doing? Um, and I realized that Rams going to ask him to do things that are differently different here than Wake Forest did because he's not the entire offense. But um, if that happens again, it's NC State, Duke, Louisville, or Pittsburgh, then Notre Dame will lose that game. Handling success is why Brian Kelly played in a national championship game and made two playoff appearances. Because, you know, games that you should, you, you don't play for national titles if you don't win the games that you should win. Um, you know, I mean, hell, Lou Holtz was the king of that. Yeah, sometimes you beat Pittsburgh when you really should have lost. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Brian Kelly was the king of that too. Exactly. No, exactly right. You could have lost to, you, you beat Louisville 12 to 7 at home. Oh. Beat Virginia Tech 21 to 20 at home. Priester, that was the year in COVID where we had to alternate games and I had the Louisville game. And I'm not sure I've forgiven you for that smart call of yours when you we did the mid-season flip on me with florida state you know <laughs> i was at louisville because that game i don't was... remember that being a calculated decision <laughs> i don't think it was but that game was so bad it was so bad to watch he i remember brian that was one his you know his boston accent would come out some from from time to time and i asked him about how essentially how terrible that was and he, he said it it wasn't a stinker <laughs> <laughs> When he'd say alma mater. Yeah, alma mater, stinka. <laughs> it's different than his other accent, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have, go ahead, dear Tim. Well, Timmy, I think you skipped over a question here. In PA Irish 5, does the recent further consolidation of conferences make you concerned for Notre Dame's independence? Not in this current iteration of the playoffs, but whatever the next iteration looks like. A monster Big Ten and SEC will hold much more sway in discussing who makes the playoffs, which could jeopardize or at least hinder Notre Dame's access requirement. When he means current iteration, does he mean the 12 team? Yeah, when it goes to 12 teams. But we all mean it was coming. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I, it always gets a little worse, of course, with a monster Big Ten and SEC are doing it like that. But I don't. Like the next iterate, they're not going to they're not going to lessen making the playoffs, though, right? That it's not going to go from 12 back to eight because it's because just because it's better for me and. I'm smart about watching college football and these people are not, but no, I don't think it's ever going back down. So I don't know why I don't think Norman's going to get hurt by that. Do you Pete? No, I don't think, I don't think like, cause what are you going to exclude? Whatever the PAC 12 is and the big 12 and the ACC as well. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, I think he's saying, let's say there's just two major conferences. And Notre Dame's hanging off for dear yeah, life. Now that that's a different reality. Yeah. If there's an AFC and an NFC in college football, uh, I think it would behoove Notre Dame to, to join one of those conferences. Um, we're not, and I think ultimately we will get there, but 
we're not there yet. And as long as the, I mean, the playoff contract is set up to run through 2036. Like as long as if, if there was a, like what concerns you most about Notre Dame and conference realignment right now, it's Florida state, not Oregon and Washington, not playoff access. It's the potential collapse of the ACC that that would have me a little bit on guard if I was Notre Dame, but we're we're still a ways out on that. Yeah, and Florida State certainly is certainly is indicating that they could be leaving. They're not. They uh, yeah, I mean they're that. like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. Um, <laughs> like, okay, good good luck, guys. By the way, Notre Dame. Speaking of schedules, this one broke pretty nicely that they had Florida State so many times, but not this year. Yeah, I'd like to just randomly add Florida State to this schedule instead of Louisville. We're we're complaining about going to Louisville. Go to Tallahassee after that. I mean, it's like is why the ACC deal was set up the way that it was, where you can't you they never draw Clemson and, and Florida yeah, State and in Florida the same State year. Together. Just in but case for, this for most of the deal, it would have been fine. Um, <laughs> this year it would have been quite bad. Hey, I suggest if Notre Dame goes to Tallahassee that you don't let me pick out the hotel oh, list. That's for sure. That has been decided. We decided that uh, one minute into our last day in Tallahassee. Please, God, just can't can't we have that be a neutral site game? If I if I'd only seen pictures of the marquee out front, I would have had a. Oh. Had a <laughs> I believe Pete, you actually said I'm not going the next time they come here. <laughs> I yeah, was like, well, that's a pretty I, bold statement. I'm gonna find out find a different story to write that week <laughs> on game week. Just write something different for that one. Yeah. there's gonna be a recruiting feature to do. We got a two parter here from Maltese Irish and Drew 2000. Can you share any insights surrounding Nolan Ziegler's absence? Andrew 2000, do you guys expect Nolan Ziegler back this year? And if not this year, do you expect him back next year? And I will say this escalated quickly to the end of that question. Yeah, I, I, we were told Tuesday that that uh, he was not going to be at practice due to personal reasons. We saw on Monday that he was not one of the Correct. photographers. And I'm not sure that we would have known that, but one of the photographers was looking specifically for him. So we looked for him. And anyway, uh, Personal reasons, that's that's that. We're not going to say anything more than that. Do we expect him back this year? I don't I don't know for sure. And I mean, speculating about next year is right. I don't know where the next year came. Am I am I missing something I, on the next year thing? I, I don't not that I'm aware of. Okay. No. Uh Pete, do you have any input on this? Uh I just thought he's got a personal thing. Um I don't yet. Personal thing back home. That's that's essentially what I was told. No, over the he summer. is that he is back home. No, no, no. Uh, I I don't know. I Not don't, as I, of Tuesday, he wasn't. As of Tuesday, he wasn't. I yeah. I I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Um, I think Pete was saying he has a personal issue that is back home. Not he went back home. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oppo- opposed to something on campus, I guess. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and and I I brought it up in Thursday thoughts because. That would be a huge loss for Notre Dame. I mean, he he's the backup guy on the inside. They really liked him. He's a good football player. He's very alert. I think he was ready. He is or was ready to play. I'm not, sh- again, I'm not declaring status on the 2023 season at this point, but he has been absent some from practices at least up to Tuesday. I haven't heard specifically about the last couple of days. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll find out when we find out. But personal issues from our perspective are always going to be listed as personal issues or personal business. And we're not going to share more insight than that question from uh, WJ W Jason P 
If Notre Dame goes eight and four this year with a new AD who didn't hire him, does Marcus Freeman's seat start to get warm? I think year three is when the seat warms. Um, fans will be very upset if Notre Dame goes eight and four this year. Yeah, I would I would say that he would be under some pressure going into year three if he goes eight and four in year Yeah, two. pressure into year three, I get. That's that's different though. They'll come to replace Marcus Freeman though after going into year three. Like I don't no. think he'd be looking at year three. He's going to be here more than. I don't I mean, he's... think Notre Dame would make a change after three years. Um, no. For some historical reasons. Yeah. And the whole... logic. I mean, it's a, that's a bad. I just, it would be crazy to do. Um, but if you go eight and four this year, I think it would be fair to be like, hold up. You had Sam Hartman and you had the same record. That, that, that wouldn't be a great look. I don't, the whole notion of new AD, Pete Bavacqua, I don't think Notre Dame, at least in this instance, f- are functioning that way. I, 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 I just, I don't think, I don't think Pete Bavacqua is going to look at as, you know, he's not my guy. He's not the guy I picked. I yeah. don't think Notre Dame, maybe help me out on that. I, you guys, I, I don't, I just don't think that that's the perspective that will, that Pete Bavacqua or Notre Dame would take in this instance. I agree with you, um, but we don't it is know worth him. Pointing out, but we it's don't. Yeah. But we don't. <laughs> but we I don't, don't know. But, yeah, but I I'll project your thinking him. without ever talking to you. Exactly. I've never talked to him. <laughs> Isn't it worth pointing out though that like I, I don't think Notre Dame should win eight games this year, uh, but their win total is eight point five in Vegas. Well, I yeah, I mean, I'm of I'm of the mindset that it's a nine and three season. So if that does does that one game change hot seat or I, I, you know, I don't know. Nine and three sounds a lot better than eight and four for the same, what Pete said, the Sam Hartman and then, thing. And then, and then you have to win a bowl game. And, and yeah, I, I mean, well, well, it's three. like, I, if they, if they go nine and four with a bowl win, like that would be a huge disappointment. Yeah. It was a big deal last year to win that bowl game. It would not be as big of a deal this year to win that exact same bowl game in that exact same situation. And it, I, I think it's easily explained with just saying it that way. I thought it was huge. They won the bowl game last year for the, for Freeman's off season. I don't think it'll move the needle at all. If they go eight and four and he wins the Gator bowl. Well, I mean, how could they go eight and four and it be satisfying in any way? Cause no, it wouldn't be. You, it, you have to win at least I, I look, I know nine regular season wins will not be satisfying for a, 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 a large portion of the fan base, but you have to win nine. You have to win at least nine regular season games, right? You have to. Always yeah, at Notre Dame. You could you talk can never lose more than three games at Notre Dame and be satisfied yeah. as a as a fan. You could talk yourself into nine and three being like, okay, you know, maybe maybe they beat Ohio State but lost to USC on a field goal and you know lost to Clemson by seven. Like you, you still got to throw in the upset. That's tough. You still got to throw the yeah. upset. Yeah. Um, but eight and four is just impossible. There's no, you you could not explain that away as like, well, they're really close. Nope, you're right. Uh, three losses to those three teams plus an upset loss. Yeah, that would that would not be good. That would not be good at all. And and even, yeah, you got to win nine. You got and that and that's not and the, and the, and the bowl game to to have uh, yeah yeah some some sauce. And I realize that nine during the regular season won't be enough for for a lot of people. Uh, we're going to end with a question from Irish from A2. Which one of Notre Dame's opponents do you believe will make the biggest improvement from 2022 to 2023? My guess is Clemson. They will be much improved on offense with the hire of Garrett Riley as their coordinator. I agree, and that's one of the reasons I agree. 
And I think they much improved at quarterback too. Yeah. I, I, tried, I, I was trying to scan the schedule to come up with an alternative to Clemson. I'm not sure I could find one. Yeah, because everybody everybody else pretty much won eight or nine games. Uh, I mean, USC would be hard to be much improved if you're USC. I mean, they were pretty, Pittsburgh pretty good at the end of the last Pittsburgh won nine. Wake Forest won eight. They'll be hard-pressed to do that again. USC won 11. Louisville won eight. Duke won nine. Ohio State won 11. NC State won eight. So, you know, I don't I, – Central Michigan was four and eight last year. I don't know that they're going to necessarily improve a whole lot. Navy's transitioning at head coach. They were four and eight. You know, I, I, I think Wake Forest is a candidate to slip from eight and five, although I think Dave Kloss has done a spectacular job. I don't – Stanford's roster is a, looks like a disaster. They were three yeah, and they nine. they can get a little bump just for the new, new regime, but those things only last so yeah. long as the season wears yeah. on. Uh, the records of most of Nordine's opponents were too good last year for there to be an obvious choice here. I think. And I actually, and I think Clemson will be a much better team than they were last year. Yeah, Who's I think that? Clemson's going to be legit good. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. The Clemson losing three games a year, two years in a row. You know, I think Dabble Sweeney's going to have to take a long, hard look at the transfer portal and reevaluate his thought process on that. But I think they're going to be a much better football team this year. Klubnik, I think, will give them stability. Uh, and you have Garrett Riley as the offense coordinator, who I didn't know until very recently that he's Lincoln Riley's brother. Now, did you watch the any of TCU last year? I did. I watched it all, but I guess I was... Uh, yeah, it was on mute. That's a good idea. Was, Sometimes it's a good drinking. idea to have it on mute. I was drinking. No yeah. I mean... Garrett Riley being Lincoln Riley's brother was sort of like the Notre Dame equivalent of Tom Zivagowski also being a boxer. Like it was just like. <laughs> I missed it. Hey, before we wrap up, I want to welcome John Bryce to the Irish Illustrated staff. He's made a name for himself through the years covering Tennessee football. He's with football scoop. And we now have, have him contributing to, to our website, irishillustrated.com. And I wanted to welcome him. I know a lot of you saw him on an instant analysis with Tim O'Malley. The other day, you'll see more of him and hear more of him. And we just want to welcome John Bryce uh, to the Irish Illustrated family. Until uh, until Monday, and that is August 7th, we'll be back with, a, uh, with another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. Here's another Irish tale from Dew Dublin at dewdublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000 year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman of course because over 250 years later the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.